Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former editor at Muscle Media International, former competitive bodybuilder, powerlifter, weight training enthusiast, and metalhead. Ooh. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter. I run Strength Guild. I run USSF. I, I run too much stuff. Uh, so uh, that's about it. Yeah, but you didn't run the Boston Marathon. No, I didn't. Yeah. No. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be bad. Mm-hmm. For many, for multiple reasons. Watching Phil do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been nowhere near the finish line. I can tell you. Yeah, that. you'd be safe. You would have been. <laughs> no what. You would have got there two hours later yeah. and said, "What the fuck? Happened? Yeah. What happened? What happened? <laughs> Where is everybody?" Yeah. Oh, All right. Me. Well, let's um, let's start with news, I guess. Um, Local news, Iron Radio news, um, and talk about something Phil is good at, which is competing in and running powerlifting meets. Yeah, we had the uh, well Kansas State Powerlifting and Weightlifting Championship um, in the new federation this last weekend, and that's why I wasn't here last Saturday. Um, all in all, it went real great. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better meet for the first one um, that we had here, and the first one of the new federation for sure. I mean, the... Uh, the resounding theme was everybody had a great time, and um, you know, talking to even you know guys like Windler and stuff like that, he was amazed at how many how many big lifters we got. Um, you know, we had jeez, I can count here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight guys over five fifty squats. So, uh, and then you know, one, two, three, four, five. Five over six fifty, and then we had a seven. Uh, yeah, so, so a lot of big numbers for our first meet, and and then the women kicked butt too. Um, we it, it was a, a lot of a close race in the women's division, and uh, you know that the Wilkes formula worked out in the end, and Jenny uh, Jenny ended up taking it all. But yeah, I mean, it, all in all, it was a great meet. It ran smooth. It was about you know doing away with the the bench only and push pull. I think work how we hoped it would. Um, it kept everything moving. You didn't have that big weight where you, you know, you squat and then it's three and a half eight hours later before you get to your freaking bench um, as a full meat lifter. Um, ran ran pretty quick. It got going about eleven. We were done by four, and that was with thirty two lifters. So, yeah, it went good. It went good. I don't know. You guys got any questions or anything on it? Or what was the uh, biggest squat among your ladies there? Because I know they're really strong. <laughs> biggest squat among my ladies was <sighs> Jenny hit three fifteen. Um, my biggest squatter that was there, she competed the next day in, in weightlifting, in Olympic weightlifting. Mm. So Emily, that you saw, squat three thirty-five. Okay. And then Amanda was away. Um, she had to go out of town. Um, still, we had one, two, two girls past three hundred. Um, Jenny pulled a big PR and deadlift at three thirty-five. And this is a person. She has a uh, a degenerative disc issue. Um, the hereditary. So we don't deadlift at all in training. 
Um, the only time she deadlifts is we go in and we pull in a meet. So well, that's a good um, that's a good argument that there's transfer from some of these multi joint yeah. exercises to the others, huh? Yeah. So you know we back squat and we front squat is what she does, um, and then it's just okay. It's meet day, so we got to pull. And yeah, she came out with an eight ten total. So yeah, it went real well. It was a good group of women, and I think we got a good uh, a good showing there. The crowd really loved that. Um, you know, lots of questions about it. And then we had some juniors. You know, one girl that's nine, um, and then what is a twelve year old, and I think a sixteen year old that put up some good numbers. Um, and then just a bunch of new guys that came out of nowhere and put up pretty big numbers. JP and his uh, JP Price in his second meet squatted seven fifty, bench four forty, and deadlifted six fifty. Got an eighteen forty total raw. So nothing, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, this is a guy who just. He's been doing it less than a year. So, wow. Yeah. Um, he was a collegiate wrestler. So, I mean, he was an athlete prior. Yeah, but big days. Big days all the way across. And then just I think we'll have a lot of people show up for more. Um, I've already got more planned. We're gonna, I'm going to do the meetup in Omaha in October. Um, and then we got one coming in St. Louis, one coming in Austin, Texas. So Now, you can't compete in the – the one that you're going to compete in, you're not putting on that one, right? No. And that's – see, so I can compete in St. Louis – or or Omaha, because I'm not the meat director. Right, yeah. So, um, I was able to, I, I did away with my judging duties for the day, so I was able to run my lifters, but I couldn't lift. It's just, it, it's frowned upon that you lift in your own meat. I mean, you could do it, but it's just not right. Um, it just reeks of conflict of interest there, I think. It does, it does. So, and you know, we gave away a good chunk of money. I think we total over the two days gave away 600 bucks. So that was everybody liked that a lot. Um, oh yeah, not a little plastic trophy. You know, you you win and you, you got you got cash. Um, so no real injuries. Uh, so yeah, no nobody walked away hurt. Um, the next day we had the the weightlifting and it was smaller than we hoped, but we didn't push it enough. I don't think we're going to do some more of the weightlifting uh, meets. They're a little easier to run. I don't have to drag a mono and and bench and stuff like that. It's showing up with bars and bumpers. Yeah, so it's a little quicker to run, but uh. Uh, Emily, my one lifter that did it, did, had a good day. She tied on um, the total. Um, she's only been doing it about three months, but she tied for first on the total, got beat uh, on coefficient because mm-hmm. she was heavy. And then Sal came in, and uh, he put up some big numbers, 300 snatch, 400 clean and jerk. Wow. So, and 225 press. Yeah, uh, wrong that. He was fun to watch. Yeah, he was. he was a lot of fun to watch. You know, we got to so you know, some of the new people, there was a, in Olympic weightlifting meets, you see a lot of the jumping going on and a lot of the numbers game throughout the whole meet, um, whereas, Rob, as you know, in powerlifting, you don't really see any of that until the deadlift, and uh, it's, it's kind of fun for the coach when that stuff starts happening. It keeps it a little more interesting. I got to do a little of that on the last, with my girls um, on the deadlift. Uh, one of my girls was tied with another girl. Well, they were they were fighting back and forth real close, and uh, we got down to we finished the second deadlift. She's like, "What do I call? You know, I want to beat this girl." And I was like, "Well," and she had to go first, and I was like, "Well, go up there and call, you know, just like a five pound jump." So she called a five pound jump, and then we waited for the other girl, and then she gave her call, and then a, about two two lifters out of our of her lift, we went up and bumped it, you know, which brought her to win it by five pounds. Because the other the other gal's coach who was a little newer didn't notice what we were doing, and you know we made that jump to to push her past it, and uh, she ended up killing it. We had probably ten or fifteen more pounds in there, mm-hmm. 
Um, but so she was able to pull it out one one by five pounds in the one thirty two pound division. And uh, it's interesting to hear about the strategy behind a lot of that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even more in the the weightlifting because of the way the flights are ran. Um, in powerlifting, you got the it's kind of like the round robin thing going on where you go through. You'll go through the whole flight once, and it goes back to the beginning of the flight. In mm-hmm. weightlifting, the bar only goes up, so it never goes back down. So let's say you called, I don't know, let's say I came in and called a 200-pound snatch, and then my next one was 220. If there was nobody else in between 200 and 220, I'd be following myself. So you might do all three of your lifts in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll, see a lot of, you'll see a lot of numbers games there. Um, people bumping up five pounds more than this other person, and the other person might say, well, I'm going to, you know, just to screw them up, I'm bumping mine five pounds type of thing <clears throat> um, to throw them off and, and things like that. And then you can also, you know, buy yourself a little more time. Let's say, you know, I go 200 snatch, I make it, and so I just call 205. And then 30 seconds before I'm supposed to lift, I say, okay, give me 210, and it buys me a little more rest while the loaders change the bar again. Oh, wow. <laughs> So, Clever, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so you can you can do that once. Um, you can buy up again once if you're following yourself, and the the clock stops, and you get a little more rest while the loaders have to change the bar and get it get it set. But so what's what's the secret for running the meat fast? You were you mentioned something like you said just between eleven and three, and you didn't have that typical thing that you're always bitching about. You know, getting to your last lifts hours and hours later. What what's the secret there? Well, one of the, we just did away with we brought powerlifting to what it originally was. If you want to be a powerlifter, you got to do a full meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did away with the bench only and the push pull and stuff like that. You you just can't lift in our federation unless you are doing squat bench oh, deadlift. So there's just fewer events. Yeah, yeah. They added in you know other federations over time have added in bench only guys right. and push pull. So a lot of times you'll come into a meet and you've got the forty freaking full meat lifters and then all of a sudden you get to bench and you got 120 people competing right well that's what i meant yeah right, right. <laughs> so, so then you're waiting for all these freaking bench only guys and also we're raw which speeds things up a lot too you don't have people squeezing into suits and this and that and this and that so um okay. and i put everybody on a strict clock um from the time the person in front of you gets done the minute they step off the platform we start a two-minute clock and i don't care if you're ed Cohn. If if your two minutes is up, you better be lifting. And I had to do that to a couple of people. It's like you know, you know the rules. It's two minutes. You got two minutes to move that bar. Um, and I'm I said from the start, we're not going to play favors because you see that in a lot of meets. Well, well, it's it's blah blah blah. You know, it's this big name lifter. Give him an extra two or three minutes. It ain't happening. You know, in my opinion, if you're an experienced seasoned lifter, you should be held to higher standards than a, a beginner. Right. Even. You know. Even less so, excuse. Yeah. To yeah, exactly. I mean, you've been here and done that. So. Um, that was another thing we did. We ran the clock and we kept to it. Um, it just kept the meat moving real well. And then, uh, of course, the mono helps a little bit. We we make people walk out, but it helped us change the height fast, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it just keeps things going. Um, and then, you know, I, I went and got the software to run the meat and things like that. So, so it does all of that for us. It throws up who's up, who's on deck, who's in the hole. And just having good people to help. You know, good loaders. Good spotters, good you know people keeping statistics stuff like oh, that. Oh, you said you said software. What software is it that helps you manage that? Next Lifter. Okay. Um, you can download it. A guy I can't recall his name. Um, a gentleman created the software. He lets you download it for free. He asked for a donation if you like it, um, and he asked you for a donation in the name of his daughter who died of cancer. Um, mm-hmm. 
but you get it totally for free and you punch the numbers in and you can actually punch in. It'll adjust itself to the equipment you have, the bars, the weights, the colors you have. And let's say it, 430 comes up. Um, it'll show you a picture of what goes on the bar. It'll say 45, 45, 25, 10, you know, collar, whatnot. So it, it makes you, there's no math to do or anything. You know, it shows you a big picture of here's what goes on the bar. Um, and who's on deck, who's in the hole, it switches the flights around for you as, as weights are called and stuff like that. So, and then at the end, it'll, it'll print out flights for you. It does your coefficients for you and things like that. It just makes everything a lot easier than doing it the old way on paper. So. That's cool. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of, uh, in fact, the older I get, the more I put my money into donations like that. You know, something that's helpful yeah. and you put your money into it. I mean, it's kind of like what we do here. You know what I mean? But yeah. I, I was reading just earlier today about how a lot of venture capitalists, they used to laugh about crowdsourcing, crowdfunding kinds of things mm-hmm. like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and that sort of thing. But they're hard not to take seriously anymore. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's along the same kind of lines. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. guy's got a... He's got a good product. No, he's not a corporation. So what? Um, and I'm just going to donate. You know, the guy's good enough to say, here, I want lifters everywhere to, to you know, get some yeah. use out of this. So, yeah, he's tossed the guy some money. And- well, he's an incredibly nice guy. I mean, you call him up, and, it, you know, instead of just having a download, you got to contact him. But he goes through the time of asking you, you know, okay, what federation are you going with? So he can set you up with a program that fits your rules, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I had one – I have a gal here that's uh, in the – She's got a math degree in computer programming and all that stuff, and she got to looking at his program. She's like, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, you know, it's a really well-ran That's program. Good confirmation then, yeah. And, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's all ran through Excel, and then he has a bunch of other add-ons you can do to where it'll, you know, it'll, like I said, it'll print off your flights for you and stuff like that. It just makes everything so much easier as a, as a meat director. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's worth it. Go check it out if you guys are running meats. Next lifter, I know all of our, all of our people are going to do it. Um, it just it just helps so much. And the way I ran into it up at uh, Mark Bell at the Super Training was using it, and I asked him where he got it and told me. So well, let me ask you a personal question: Do you get the itch? Is it hard for you to run these meets and not want to lift, or are you just so busy it's just a downtime for you as far as your own? Oh, for me, I'm more nervous uh, coaching a meet than I am lifting a meet. Oh yeah, you know I'm in the zone, and I know I won't. If I screw up my meet. It's like, ah, who cares? But if I screw up a meat for somebody else, I'm more upset. You know, so I'm more on edge because I don't want to screw it up for my people. Phil, that is so much like me as a teacher. You know, I mean, I've got to do everything fair. I've got to do it right. I've got to do it in a certain time frame. And it would tear me to pieces if I somehow failed my students in a way. It's the same thing, you know. Yeah, it is. And that's, you know, and I tell people that's how I knew I – the first time I coached a, a, a lifter in a meet, that's why I knew I, I, I should be doing it, and I loved it, because I was so much more nervous about that than I was my own lifting. And I don't know. It could be that I've done so many meets, I'm just comfortable in a meet. Um, but, and, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, if I screw something up for myself, it's no big deal. But if I ruin, like one of my lifters missed her opening two squats, and it was like, we got to make this squat, you know. Yeah. Um, or she's out of meat, and that that just had me on edge so oh, much. Oh, because you know why? I mean, like for me, like let's say I'm working with students, and we're going to do something like we're doing real research, and we're going to present it somewhere. It's very mm-hmm. important to me that they have a positive experience, especially the first time yeah. out. And it's the same thing exactly. with you. You know, if they if they wash out, they may be demoralized and not want to do it again. Exactly. You know, 
like at all. I mean, and somebody who could have been a lifer now is, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying you should pat it and hand something to them, but you do stack the cards in their favor, yeah. so it's um, it should be positive, I think. No, yeah, it's that, and it's, I mean, I'm, I've always said there's no excuse for bombing out of me. And I'm the one calling the numbers now, so if you bomb out, it's my fault. <laughs> you know, yeah. I should be calling lifts, you get Well, plus, you have your no guys matter. do triples and even fours with their yeah. openers, right? Yeah. So, so it's got to be psychological just, at that point if they do bomb. Oh, yeah, and from that, it's, it's knowing your lifters. You know, I've got lifters that are meat lifters where, you know, I know on, on meat day they're going to be good for 10% more. But then I have other lifters that, okay, if we want to hit 335 in a meat, we need to hit 355 in the gym. Type of thing because they're yeah. they get on a little too on edge, a little too much in their own head. So it's you know you got to know your lifters, this and that, and yeah, it's something everybody has, everything has to figure out about about themselves and about. Well, I can tell you, their you, you do tough. see similar things. I mean, I haven't competed in tons of bodybuilding events, but you do you can see poorly run events, and you do see people who, you know, like you said, they get too much in their own head a, a yeah. little bit. But it's really hard not to do that. I think at least in a bodybuilding competition because they're like. Okay, you're on in 15 minutes, and you got 15 minutes to get a pump. And yeah. sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. You know, and that's I mentioned this a couple of years ago, but guys walk out on stage, and a lot of those guys, I'd say most, um, or even nearly all, are probably 85 percent of their best. You know, as opposed to those days when they're in the gym the week before, and they've got yeah. the time to go about it. And it's almost like lift on demand, like what you do. It's not quite as scary in a way it's getting a pump on demand instead of lift on demand but both of these things are the realities of a meat you know oh, no. of a <clears> exactly yeah, it's and if it's run badly <clears throat> you're making it even worse you yeah know? yeah you it's exactly and you can well i've done both and i'll tell you it's it's, it's equally as nerve-wracking for me the whole idea of like you saying line you have having to time things properly you know and i remember at one of my bodybuilding competitions there was a guy there that was so nervous that he just started pumping up almost as soon as he got backstage. And it was literally about four hours before he went on. Oh, I see so, it. I've seen so, it so several this, times. Yeah, yeah, this poor bastard was trying to keep a, keep a pump <laughs> for several <laughs> hours, you know, after. And, and everybody kept telling him to chill out, but uh, he wouldn't. But, you know, it, there is a certain amount of art to that, just like there is an art to being in a powerlifting meet or any kind of Olympic, you know, lifting or whatever where you – kind of have an idea of where you are in the roster and where how things are going. And that's why it's so important to have, like, a, a, I hate to use the word because it, it makes it sound so damn Hollywood, but it's important to have an assistant or a handler yeah. um, where, you know, they can actually be, you know, focusing on, you know, like like in powerlifting, what, what flight you are and who's lifting and kind of the... And after an hour or two of any meet, you can kind of, and Phil certain knows this, you can kind of get a gauge for kind of the flow of the day. Um, and, and certainly in, in bodybuilding as well, kind of like how, how they're moving and expediting, how things are moving along, and, and that can be invaluable. Because so, I've often looked at some guys who go to these things and they go by themselves, um, more so in powerlifting for this specific aspect of it. But, you know, and they're there by themselves, and, I, and I've, I've been fortunate that, you know, from, from the first one I did that I, I had somebody helping me. And I'm telling you, if now that I think about going and doing it by myself, by myself, specifically back when I didn't know even what I was doing, um, my God, I mean, what what a calamity that would have been, you know? Yeah. So. No, yeah, that makes a huge difference. And then it's it's like it's even with warm ups, it's knowing the lifter. You know, I've got 
I've got guys that we better start warming up an hour before the meet starts. And then I've got other people where if I start doing that, they're going to be dead. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, everybody was freaking out at my last meet because I, you know, I, I literally did one set of five with 135 on the deadlift and I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were like, what the hell? But I, that's how I train. You know, I've, I've said this on the show and I've said to you, Phil, like I, I do a couple sets of five with 135 and then I go right up to my numbers. <clears throat> now, I'm not suggesting that people do that. And I'm not suggesting that they don't try that. I'm just saying that, you know, for most people, I guess that doesn't work. For me, specifically after I've been in a powerlifting meet, you know, after the squatting, the benching and stuff, I'm kind of, I'm I'm kind of ready to go. You know, I don't really so. No, I agree, and that's you know, I'm the same way on deadlift. I go heavier, but it's very minimal warm up. I'll pull three singles, and it's like I'm I'm good to go. You know, if it was a training day, and I'm just training deadlift, it's a lot more than that. But if you're not warm by the deadlift, you ain't getting warm. You know, and even even if you're, even if it's been several hours since you've squatted, you know, the, the yeah. fact of the matter is the whole day is just a bundle of nerves. So mm-hmm. so there's always that kind of that cold sweat going on the whole day anyway. So it shouldn't really take you much time to kind of even if it is a cold sweat, shouldn't take yeah. you much time to kind of turn that into a hot sweat, you know, because because like you are such a bundle of nerves exactly. at that point. Yeah. Well, I think and like Phil, you compete so often that that's the only remedy for that, really. I mean, you know, you do something over and over. Even that oh, last yeah. round of competitions that I did, by the time I got to the, the third one, I, I finally had my feet back under me. But, you know, not yeah. being somebody who competes often, I felt like I was relearning every step out there the first time I was doing it. You know, because like Rob, I'm mostly a, a gym lifter. You know, I love the training aspects of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that always puts you at a little bit of a deficit, at least in your warm-up competition. And that's why I do warm-up competitions yeah. when I come back around because I'm like, listen, I'm not completely lean right now, but I'm not looking necessarily for first place. That's not me, me being defeatist. It's just, yeah. you know, and it would be the same thing with you, like maybe a warm-up meet. or But, see, oh, but yeah. you do it so often, it probably all feels like warm-up meets to you in a way. Yeah, I'm right at home. and Well, I mean, I'll take it in a different mindset, though. Like my last meet, that's really all it was. It was, okay, I'm going in to hit these numbers just to prove I'm kind of, I'm on the right track. You know, I wanted to go in and hit that 600 squat, 700 deadlift, you know, and I went in and I hit him on my seconds and called exactly. it a day. Exactly. That's sort of what and I'm I saying. I never really right. had to get real worked up. Right. On track. You know? Right. Yep. And it was, you know, so, but, it, you know, it's true. I'm very at home at meets now, and it's I know exactly what i got to do, and I just keep people, leave, just the best thing you can do is leave me alone. Just go away. <laughs> you know, I don't want anybody messing with me, and it's just. You know, I'm, people people look at me and they ask me, "How are you so relaxed?" It's like, well, you know, it's just it's just another meet. You know, here we go. Yeah, and it's uh, and that's a, it's getting people. I was gonna say that's a, that's another thing that people don't realize is just how people respond to people talking to them. I mean, yeah. you know, some some people just yeah, like you're saying, just leave me alone. And other yeah. and other people like you know people talking to them and stuff. And um, yeah, you, ha- you have to be sensitive to that. You know, and uh, if some, I, I mean, I, I certainly don't agree with if you walk over to somebody and they just t- turn and blast you and tell you to f off, and you know, yeah. But I mean, if somebody does politely say to you, you know, I'm just kind of chilling out here. I mean, you you got to be sensitive to that, right? Because that's some athletes yeah. are like that. Some oh. it's just like you know, best of luck, good good stuff. <clears throat> but you know, you see you see guys trying to you know trying to push the in, push that element sometimes with people who are not into it and it's you know it, you got to be sensitive to that stuff because backstage again whether it's a bodybuilding or powerlifting or whatever you got to be sensitive to how people prepare um yeah. in their head and some people just like to be left alone 
you know, yep. and, uh, and, that's, uh, and other people are, you know, then you get the other guys who like to, you know, be smashing their head against a cinder block wall with their friends punching them in the gut. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's everybody's different. Yeah. That's my meet before my last one. I had, you know, my, my wife knows me well now. She'll come up, you know, they, they'll announce, okay, we're going to start one month with a flight and this and that. She'll come up and say, good luck, give me a kiss and go away. And then I had a friend, you know, trying to get up my face. Oh, you got this shit. You got it. Blah, blah, blah. Trying to, I finally just had to say, just, just shut up and go away. You know, I mean, just let me be in my own head, you know, just the best thing you can do for me is go over there about 40 feet away and just watch because I'm, I just need to be quiet and be in my own head. Let me do my thing. And then we can talk after. And the minute I'm done, the minute I did my three lifts, I'm relaxed again and I'm ready to chill. And that's what a lot of people don't get that in meets. It's such a, even, even our meet, it ran fast, but it was still five hours. Right. You know, you can't be on edge five hours straight. You've got to learn to get your lifts in. Go sit down. You know, Phil, no. you're, uh, I, I once read in a sports psychology journal that there, there's two ways to deal with the stress of competition. One is to engage, you know, like listen to music, get into it. And yeah. the other is to sort of disengage, especially if yeah. there's something stressful or there's a certain amount of pain involved or whatever. So you either engage or disengage. And when the first time I heard you say that years ago was I thought, oh, Phil's one of those disengaging guys. And I can see why you can't remain Fully engaged the whole meet, like oh, Rob said, you'd be in a full sweat for five hours, you know. Yes, and I guarantee if people get worried about, well, I got to get worked up. If they call your name to come up and put weight on your back and squat it, virtually is pretty damn close to naked in front of a bunch of people. If you don't get worked up when they do that, there's something wrong with you. You know, believe me, you're going to get worked up when they call your name. Say there's 450 pounds loaded on the bar for you know Lonnie. It, you're, you're automatically going to be worked out. Right. So, so, yeah, you, I think uh, you got to walk that path where you don't want to be blindsided yeah. by that announcement. No. But you also, yeah, you're like, oh, well, yeah. You just can't stay. There's no way, yeah, you're not, no way you're going to get up there and, right, and be completely yeah, you've disengaged. You've got to harness the beast. You know, you've got you to hold it back, rein it back a little bit, and turn it on for 30 seconds at a time. You know, if not, you're just going to be wasted. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's so funny because, like Rob said, I've seen so many guys in bodybuilding. They do the same thing. They're backstage and they start pumping up immediately. And half the time, oh. you know, if it's a badly run event, there's not decent equipment back there. It's not like they even have an Olympic bar and a bench. You know, they've got like a handful of ten pound dumbbells. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you're supposed to. How am I going to get pumped with this stuff? You know, and <laughs> and these guys immediately run over there and they're doing this. And not that I'm Mr. Veteran guy with this because I again I competed. Um, Unoccasionally, but I, at some point I'm just sitting there being like, you know, you, I don't know, you need to relax, dude. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, you're a light heavyweight. We got to go through all the little classes first. You're, you know, geez. yeah. And then I don't know. I mean, as far as running meets, I think I'm glad I waited till now to start this this up because I have so much. I've been in so many other federations. I've been in so many other meets. I know. I know what I want out of a meet as a competitor, and that's what I'm trying to give people. You know, just a well-ran meet. And it means so much to a lifter. You know, if the, if the meet's ran for them and, you know, it's there's no dilly-dallying, there's no, you know. Well, their performance this, depends on your performance. Yeah, you know? exactly. And the minute you mess up, you've just messed up. If all of a sudden you've got to take a 10-minute break for something, you just screwed up everybody. You know, you just threw a monkey wrench in everybody's training, and it's just – you know, just run a quality, but, you know, expediently ran meat, and everybody will be happy. You know, I'll you say know. just one last thing about running meats, and then I've got some um, – a little bit of comments here from, from listeners here. But um, I might have said this in the past, but 
Oh man, I remember the the one of the first times I, I competed properly. Um, I was in my early 30s, and um, it was the Mountaineer Cup, and that you know it was professional powerlifting meet. I mean, Ed Cohn was lifting, um, but uh-huh. they had a side amateur bodybuilding show sort of thing, and it was run so badly. They kept delaying the start of the evening show, delay, 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 and we were backstage pumping up for two and a half hours or something like that or more. Oh, yeah. my God. So everybody got, got a pump, you know, even people who waited to the right moment. Oh, no, we're delayed 20 minutes. Oh, we're delayed yeah. 15. Oh, 30 more. And, you know, nobody can hold a pump for that long. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and just because it was run so badly, I mean, by the time we we got on stage – no kidding. There are guys backstage just saying, you know, I'm so tired right now. I'd rather just go home. Well, yeah. what a shame. You know, what yes. a damn shame that that was run that badly, at least the bodybuilding side of it, you know, that guys were just, you know, they were so spent they were ready to just leave. No, and that's, I mean, that's one thing that we I tried to do with the with our federation is, you know, there's a clause in the rules where the meet has to start within 30 minutes of the posted time. And if it doesn't, that meet director has to give you half your money back. Oh, right on. Um, which keeps which keeps my you know it keeps my state chairs and meet directors. You better do it. Yeah, you know? right on. And it's because there's just no excuse. I've been to meets where they do that, and okay, we're starting three hours late. Well, come on, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not that hard. I mean, barring a death in the family or something, you know, some tragic event. Sure, then you have an excuse, but just just be prepared. You exactly. Know? So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you, I know we've been going on for a bit, but before we go to break, I just want to share a few things. Um, after break, we've got a little bit of science news. Rob's got some listener uh, questions, I think. Um, I just want to run through a, a couple of iTunes comments. Things seem to be running okay on iTunes. I know we were concerned about some of that before, but we're sort of playing a wait-and-see game right now, I guess, with with some of those changes. But um I did post on our Facebook page recently that we were actually one of the top podcasts uh, in our genre, which was cool. It's good to see that after a couple of years. And yeah. so here's some of the things that keep us going. Uh, customer reviews. We've got five out of five. We have uh, almost 240 ratings now, good. which is pretty sweet. Um, first one by Evie1234. This is April 5th. No nonsense, entertaining strength podcast. Uh, these guys have the backing of experience to make this science-based podcast entertaining, insightful, and educational. If you lift weights, check it out. So thank you, Eddie. Yeah. Um, next one says, The Best by Oceanicate. Um, it says, You guys are the best. Listening to the show on the way to the gym gets me focused and ready to lift. Great variety of information and training-related news. Thanks. Um, next one just says, Great podcast by Steve O. Um, the show is entertaining for people who actually like to hear about fitness and it's educational at the same time the next one says not worthy Uh, I I don't think I read this one before I I may have he says um, this is from late March I've been into bodybuilding weight training for 17 years and listening to these guys every week I realize that I have a long way to go they cut through the bro science and give you the real deal listening to this I've been inspired to just compete um, in my first powerlifting meet um even to helping me personally prep for meets. This show has been valuable. Keep it up, guys. Uh, the next one is just by CSCS, um, or that's what it says. Um, it says, you guys have the best show there is, period. <laughs> so that was nice. Yes. The next guy says, don't think, just subscribe by CMCC123. Awesome podcast. Wish I found the Iron Brotherhood sooner. 
uh, now on the epic task of listening to all the old episodes, only have two years left. Wish I had a longer commute to work. Great info, and I have learned so much. One of my favorite episodes is Dan John talking about having a passion for the game. So good. So anyway, there's, there's a couple more. Let me give you one more. Um, great job, guys. Thank you so much for the great information and awesome presentation. I just wanted to say that I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this show. I really think that it's the best show of its type available via podcast. Please keep up the great work. I'm working my way through all of the old episodes. That's JT1911. So thanks, JT. I want to, if we got time here, I want, I want to give one more thing. I want to get a shout out to somebody. Um, one of my lifters called me up last Thursday and actually had to miss the meet. Um, and it was because her son, they had to rush him down to um, Kansas City last week. He's at Children's Mercy Hospital. All of a sudden, uh, Cody came down, got really ill, and they found out he got AML leukemia. Oh, my goodness. Um, he, yeah, he went from from a healthy little guy to uh, starting chemo Friday, um, and with with a you know a diagnosis of six months straight of this stuff. So I just want to give a shout out to him and and his mom Casey and just uh, say our thoughts are with you. And I, I got a link up on the Iron Radio webpage where I'm selling bracelets um, and stuff to help them out. So oh, that's great. If anybody just, just even even throw a, a shout out to him. And stuff like that. It means a lot. Um, so, and if you if you've got five bucks, throw it in there, and and I'll send you a bracelet. So, right on. <clears throat> Hang in there, dude. All right, we got a couple um, questions via email from some of our listeners. Um, some of the, the these we've uh, discussed. I think we've we've probably discussed most everything in the last few years on the show at some point, to some degree. But uh, some of the stuff is worth uh, um, revisiting. Um, this one's from Ben. Um, he just put best period podcast period ever. Um, so thank you very much. Um, he'd like us to address these two points. Um, and here's one that some of our older listeners might recognize, but uh, again, it's uh, worth bringing it up. Train for size for different body types. Um, he's talking about, of course, ectomorph versus mesomorph and endomorph. Would train be different for these classic body types? Who wants to say something about that? Well, let me, I'll add one thing. I've, I've always been sort of a um, meso-ecto, you know, and nobody's purely one or the other. That's like saying you're just type A or type B personality or, you know, this or that. Uh, but I think ectomorphic guys, they probably need more food and more recovery in a lot of ways. <clears throat> if they're thin, they might be a hard gainer, and you got to crash through those barriers like we're always talking about. Don't be afraid of big eats, epic meals, bring the protein, you know, that sort of thing. I know some guys say they're skinny fat and they're ectomorphic. Because ectomorphic really just means, you know, thinner and more angular, usually. It doesn't necessarily mean they have no body fat. But I would argue that the ectomorphs are the ones that probably need, uh, you know, more recovery, probably brief, heavy weights. They probably don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, with high reps and cross-trainer-type training because they're never going to get big. I would say, you know, those are the guys that are going to have to lift heavy and eat heavy to, try to always try to put on the weight and, and, and recover. If that yeah. makes any sense, so you know, I, I, I'll my only comment about this. Um, I could go a lot further, but what I will say is that I kind of follow the same lines that I do also when people talk about, um, you know, as far as programming and all this type of thing. My whole idea, you know, and as far as people saying, you know, that I'm more interested in the aesthetics than the visual. I always say the same thing, which is go train as best as you can, as intensely as you can bear in mind that you need to recuperate to a certain degree 
and see where that gets you. Don't focus so much and worry about the details of, oh, well, I read some you know, article in Muscle and Fitness about mesomorphic training and endomorphic and all this type of thing. Because when you start, it's like nutrition and micromanaging nutrition. It's the whole thing where you get, if you get stuck in this idea of this is what I am and therefore this is what I should do, you kind of might skip the very, very thing that m- most serves you as an individual versus you as a classification. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Am no, I? yeah. Like <laughs> no, it's just like the people that, you know, they, they, they give themselves that excuse, I've got bad genetics. And it's like a lot of times they just you just mentally beat yourself right there. You just gave yourself an excuse. Don't give yourself an excuse. You know? No, it's right. I'll tell you, yeah. I think um, on the ectomorphic side, and Rob, I think you'll probably agree, and Phil, you probably as well, but I think some of the best bodybuilders – are actually ectomorphs that manage to put on size mm-hmm. because they they all have not always flowing lines necessarily, but they tend to have smaller joints, they're more angular, they tend to be able to get ripped better uh, in a lot yeah. of ways than, say, Absolutely. an endomorph. Um, and if they can inflate those muscle bellies, they can be really dramatic. I mean, Flex Wheeler, I think, is a good example. I mean, obviously there was, yes. yeah. you know, drug use involved there for, you know, <laughs> at least probably. I'm not going to pointy fingers <laughs> but um good example of how dramatic an ectomorph can look when he when he does manage to put on the mass so like you said well, don't course. defeat yourself i'm an ectomorph i'm a hard gainer i don't have the genes i'm not going to get big well if you can figure out a way you're going to look amazing so yeah yeah you know and i mean i'll go into it i mean i deal with this with my clients it's you know i've got very endomorphic people that are like They'll come in and say they want to be a freaking marathon runner and, you know, and vice versa. It's, you know, and it's sure. Okay. It's my job. You come in and tell me that I'm going to do my best to get you there, but I'm also going to tell you, you're probably better suited for this, uh-huh. you know, and it's, it's okay. And it's, so don't, don't ignore what you are. I mean, that's, you know, it, it took me a while to realize, Hey, you know, I like picking up heavy things and I'm good at it. So I'm just going to roll with it. You know, and you know, I've got some girl coming in with, tree trunk legs and big hips and this and that. It's like, well, let's, let's freaking lift. Let's see how strong we can get you. And it's okay. You bet. Yeah. You know, you know, you're right. That goes both ways, not just from the ectomorphic guys with the skinny complex, but heavier yeah. guys with the, you know, I'm, I'm too fat complex. They might be incredibly strong, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't ignore that, you know, and you're right. I think as a coach, that's a brilliant thing for you to do is just say, can you at least give this a thought, at least consider yeah. some of this because as exactly. a coach, I see, I see possibilities here. Yeah, I mean, I've got one girl now who's ran, like, seven freaking runs this year, and she finally came up to me and said, I think I'm going to take your advice, and I'm going to try this powerlifting thing. And she's just meant for it. <laughs> you know, it's like, great, yeah. you know. Yeah. Let's roll with it, you know. Well, I, know, I, I know, yeah. know she's going to excel. Some of the girls in your gym, they're built for it. Oh, you yeah. Know? I mean, you could go in and you can see that they're – you know, they're going to be strong. I mean, maybe yeah. it's because I do have some of that experience. I'm not a coach like you are, but just as a physiologist, you're like, you know, she looks strong. Isn't it funny how you oh, can God. see that almost? Yes. You can look at people yeah. and whether they carry more body fat or not, you can see structure under yeah. it. You can see oh, skeletal something, something going on there. And you're like, yeah, this one's probably strong. Yeah, my wife makes fun of me all the time because we'll be walking down the street or sitting down at dinner somewhere, and I was like, oh, man, she should be a lifter, or he should be a lifter. And she's like, really? You're sitting here judging people and they should be lifters? It's like, well, yeah, you know, it's just something I do. It's hard to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
Yeah. What I could do with that, you know, we could put some freaking weight on that person and throw it around. So. You're like, you're a sculptor, Phil. <laughs> you just oh want to sculpt. So. Our next question. <laughs> Full body training versus split routines for size. The pros and cons, when would you choose one over the other? This is a good question. And I'll say that um, although I've kind of harped in the past that the kind of the um, – bodybuilding bug has largely left certainly western kind of you know uh, gym culture you know with the advent of MMA and all that type of thing i do still see the the um the carryover from those those you know days of the 80s and early 90s where guys today they still guys who have nothing to do with bodybuilding bodybuilding as a sport type of deal they still go in the gym and still consider, oh, today's back and biceps. Today, you know, yeah. today's chest and triceps. And these, as I say, these are people that have nothing to do with that whole bodybuilding culture. So that whole thing really has bled over, even though, again, like I say, the whole bodybuilding bug thing has kind of left largely a lot of commercial gyms. Um, that still stays. And I always kind of you know, making the switch to over to powerlifting and that type of thing, I've kind of changed my way of thinking in a lot of those types of things. And so what do you guys think about that, the whole idea of full body training versus split routines? Because, of course, you know, with full body training, but then you get the other guys who don't understand the need to actually rest once in a while. You know, yeah. I'm going to squat I'm gonna squat and bench press and deadlift, you know, six or seven days a week every oh, day. You know, you know, in the college weight room when we were at Can't uh, Train Any, um, Lake Hall weight room. It was just old dungeony, you know, before they gutted it, unfortunately. But uh, there were guys, they'd go in there and they'd bench press three or four times a week. I mean, like a dozen sets more. You know what I mean? I'm like, and they would always wonder why our research subjects in the research program we were in there training them, why they got bigger and stronger. I'm like, because they recover. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because you guys, you're so obsessed with the T-shirt muscles, you know, that you just go in there and you're you're doing them like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday or something, uh, if you take Wednesday off at all. And then they wonder why they're not getting big. I'm like, you know, you guys, you don't have any structure. There's there's no programming here, you're, you know, and, and our guys, they did a body part, you know, heavy about once a week. You know, they yeah. we fed them the right number of calories and all that sort of thing. And they, the other lifters always thought we were giving them some special supplement. And although sometimes we were, it was the placebo group growing just as well. They just had decent programming. Yeah. You know. But I think that, I don't know. I think it's like all else. There's, there's a place for both of them. Um, because I've had a lot of luck with, you know, adding a lot of size on people lately with, uh, we're going to go, we squat three, four times a week. Um, but it comes down to programming then too, because a lot of those days it's very submaximal. Exactly. You know, well, we're hitting three sets of ten with fifty percent, so you're not really pushing it that hard. But you know, it's funny you're saying uh, that, Phil, because I am. I'm doing that right now. I was very yeah. ill. I was actually out of the gym, you guys, for three weeks. Oh my! Ooh. I mean, my son brought me home a nice little virus, and it was one of those long ones that just would not go yeah. away. And so I'm like, I'm going to start from scratch. I've just rebooted. And yeah. I'm going to take a, a page from Waterbury. I said, you know what? I'm going to go in four times a week. I'm just going to do two or three sets for, you know, major muscle groups or, you know, multi-joint yeah. kind of movements. But like you said, Phil, it's only two or three sets. I'm not focusing yeah. on lots of negatives or super heavy weights. Yep. I mean, really kind of joke weights, like 60% weights. Yeah. But I'm kind of liking it, at least for a conditioning phase. Yes. You know, I don't know how long I can stay away from struggling with heavier weights maybe yeah. but 
I, I'm trying to make myself go all the way through uh, May and give myself like six weeks of just a conditioning phase. And, you know, I'm kind of putting his theories to the test about the frequency of training because let's face it, I mean, yeah. if it is enough stimulus to turn on protein synthesis and growth, and I'm doing that four times a week, I'm going to expect to change. Plus, I'll drop some fat at the same time and get conditioned, and you know, so. It comes back to that whole thing. You know, it, it comes into the programming. It really does. It's the, you know, I've said it time and time again on the show, you can, you can go frequent and you can go intense. You can't do them both no, you for very long. You know, and it's, and that's, that's what it is. I mean, and, you know, when you're on one of those frequency things, you've got to expect that yeah, even if you're going not that intense, you can't go forever. Because you're just going to be in a state of not recovered, you know, for for that whole time. Um, you know, I'll run a, I'll run something more like that now with most of my lifters because they're going to at a point where we won't see another meet until October for many of them. And it's okay. It's time to to reboot and you know let's let tendons heal up. Let's you know get the little conditioning in and this and that because yep. you know as power lifters they're at their worst. Good. You know, you that's know, a good point, Phil. Just time to. <laughs> recover from those little nagging injuries too that's, a, yeah, that's another reason that i'm doing this right i've got this yeah. you heard, you've heard me bitch phil in person about my glute hamstring tie-in thing yeah it's just not letting me i every time i squat 405 or more it's it's it, something pops i'm like god yes. dang it so this is going to give me six weeks to say listen i'm not going to do that i'll do leg presses yep. hell i'll do i don't know stuff that i usually don't do for variety yeah you know and it's good for you i mean even as a strength athlete, it's good for you, as long as you're not right next to your meat. And people forget about it, it. what we're doing isn't just muscular. You know, we've got tendons and stuff that, that progress at a lot slower rate and things like that. And you've got to pay attention to that, if, especially if you're starting to have aches and pains. You know, and, and some of that lighter work is going to help out and give yourself time to reboot and, and recover. And Well, my personal my personal thoughts about that is just having done that for, I mean, my just my second week of doing this, but... I feel pretty good. I, I actually don't think I'm going to lose any size doing this. I don't know if I'm going to grow dramatically. Um, who knows? Maybe Chad's right. Maybe I will. But um, I think it's fantastic for a middle-aged guy uh, or a beginner. Like, it's sort of classic, almost NSCA policy. You know, go through that period of several weeks. It's just a conditioning, you know. Yeah. Even if it's muscular endurance, soft tissue conditioning, like you said, you know, the soft tissue, yeah. it's, it, you're right. I think bodybuilders tend to think, or maybe powerlifters too, that it's always just about the contractile proteins. But mm -hmm. There's a lot of elasticity and muscle, muscle sheathing and, you know, fascia and all these sort of uh, mesia um, around the muscle that's part of the picture. Too, yeah. You know, so. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so. one more question here I have um, from Steve. Kind of a different one. Um, I've replaced knees and a bad back from service in the Army. I was looking for a starting point for powerlifting. Kind of a general question. <laughs> well, what, do you think, yeah. what do you think, Phil? He's got replaced knees and a bad back from his service in the Army. The knees don't bother me as much as the back. Define bad back. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. I mean, if we're talking fused discs and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's a complex setup there in the back. Yeah, I mean, it could be something very simple to something to where we just need to add some meat around it to something really bad. Um, but neither of those would stop me. Um, but I really can't give him an answer without knowing more. Yeah. Um, it would definitely be, you know, we're progressing slow. A lot of it's going to be mentally just getting comfortable and making sure he's moving right. You know, it's going to be form first. Um because, I mean, hell, 
replacing these aren't that big a deal, especially now. They're real good at it. I mean, Mark Ripto is squatting with no ACLs. He has none, and he's still squatting. Um, it's all on how you do it and make sure you're doing it right. Um, and, you know, Raps might be his friend. And I I hate people that, that put others down for, for throwing on a pair of wraps. I'd rather throw some on and not be in pain and be able to squat than, than do it. And, it, you know, you got to you got to take each person on their, what they're facing, you know, walk a day in their shoes. And, um, but, you know, it, it, it'd probably largely be around just, you know, mentally getting him prepared and, you know, physically making sure he's moving right and then building up the needed imbalances he has to protect the, his worried spots, his knees and his back. Um, I think a lot of people don't have a strong enough back. They don't spend enough time getting reps in with simple stuff, uh, you know, stiff-legged deadlifts, good mornings and stuff like that, or that are just at a load that is very boring and light, but just to put meat around it. I mean, if anybody proved it right, I mean, Louis Simmons has broke his back two or three times, and, you know, he's come back to squat a 1,000 pounds. You can do it. Um, it's just a matter of being mature and, and doing what has to be done. If I can piggyback on that, I would suggest that he actually – I'm not doing this as an ad for Phil, I swear. <laughs> but get a hold of someone like Phil who can get some appraisal, can get some assessments on you to see where you are. Like Phil said, I mean, lightweights, skill development, range of motion, you know, yep. and see where you are. Because it's really hard to set yourself a course until you have some baseline data. That's my geek interpretation. I mean, you, you, no, it's true. And I've seen a lot of people that have so-called back issues. And it was frickin' tight hips and hamstrings, <laughs> you yeah. know. And then, oh wow, we loosened them up, and my back feels great. It hadn't felt any good in years, um, type of thing. So, I mean, it could be something really simple like that. Well, and you're living proof, Phil. And Chad Waterbury was talking about this as well a couple weeks ago. That the body is so compensatory. Um, yeah. If something is off, something else is going to grow to compensate for it, probably. Yes. So, yeah. don't let that sure. stop you. Again, work with somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, yeah. and that, and then don't let it stop you. You know, because your yeah. body will adapt somehow. It'll find a way. Yeah, and you know, I'll just do what Lonnie said. Go, go find somebody that knows what they're doing around you, and, and have them check you out. Yeah, but, so, some like yeah. a strength coach, not just a medical doctor who may or may not yeah. be familiar with the you know the right kind of uh, range of motion in the squat, let's say, or you know, yeah. do you lack mobility, and if so, what kind? You yeah. know, you got to get some assessments. So. Mm-hmm. Is that it, Fortress? That's pretty much all I have as far as, um, yeah, pertinent questions for this week. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you. Um, we're far enough into the show. Um, we won't go to break. I mean, ads yeah. be damned. We'll just, I'm, I'm going to go through some of this. You guys can let me know if you have any thoughts. These are just a couple of uh, nutrition um, science bits. Uh, this has been another banner week for different kind of nutrition coming across my desk. I'm going to start with red meat. Check this out. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, is red meat bad? Uh, this is from Science Friday. I was listening to this on the way to work the other day, and I said, you have got to be kidding me. First of all, I'm sick of people always bashing red meat. You know, um, yeah. I, I should probably be a consultant for, like, the National Cattlemen's Association or something. But um, it says red meat's heart risk goes beyond just the fat. A chemical in red meat, L-carnitine, may increase the risk of heart disease in people and mice. Um, it says... Let's see. Uh, a chemical in red meat, L-carnitine, may increase the risk of heart disease in people and mice, uh, shown on, as shown on Science Friday. Um, apparently, what happens is meat people who eat meat regularly, they repopulate their intestines with a certain type of microbe that will 
metabolize L-carnitine into a cardiovascular risk chemical called TMAO. Um, and when they feed L-carnitine to vegans, because they don't have the right microflora, they don't have the right bacteria in their gut, they don't make TMAO out of the L-carnitine. But what I thought was sort of amazing with this is L-carnitine, they're saying it's another thing in red meat that links it to heart disease, along you know with the saturated fat and the other things they've tried to link it to. Um, and it just shocks me because people supplement L-carnitine. You know, um, the Council for Re- Responsible Nutrition even chimed in. This is in other uh, media, uh, and they were saying, you know, this is just um, this might be alarmist. You know, it's just uh, some preliminary, you know, theorizing and that sort of thing. But uh, it, it is in, in mice and in, in people, and they were looking at some of this stuff. I just think it's amazing that L-carnitine they're listing as one of the almost you know danger. Uh, I don't know if I should call it a nutrient or not, but j- dangerous substances in red meat for heart disease. And the, I, on the uh, podcast, the guy from the Cleveland Clinic there, the Lerner Research Institute up there, the very prestigious, he was, um, yeah, he was he was really down on red meat. He was saying really anything red, uh, beef, lamb, you know, um, venison. Uh, he said even reddish fish. So that would put like tuna probably in that category. I mean, you know. Um, as opposed to white meats, which apparently don't have as much L-carnitine. I mean, even salmon. Uh, yeah. Well, and I'm just thinking, well, if anything, I would argue this is probably a minor risk for cardiovascular disease. Like I said, it just stunned me. It almost seems like another, yeah. you know, red meat bandwagon kind of thing. And I don't want to poo-poo it because you don't know. But especially because you're talking about maybe 180, 200 milligrams of L-carnitine in, in a big steak. And yeah. people supplement 500, 1,000, 2,000 milligrams of that stuff at a time. Uh, and to think that if you're a meat eater and you're doing that, it's becoming TMAO. And, mm-hmm. you know, look it up, people. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I should be concerned by this or, like I said, it's more just red meat bashing. Not sure. Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. But I wanted people to be aware of it, especially if you're a meat eater and you're taking L-carnitine for fat loss purposes for whatever reason – uh, check out the cardiovascular risk thing through the Cleveland Clinic. Um, anyway, uh, here's another one. This sort of swings the other way. This is about low-carb diets. I got this through Joey Antonio, uh, as I often do. He's always you know, tweeting this stuff. This is not an academic uh, site, but it does reference academic literature. It's dietdoctor.com. And this guy is railing against the people who refuse to embrace low-carb diets. He said he's been having a, a debate uh, in a Norwegian paper with some official uh, quote-unquote nutrition experts, uh, and they keep claiming that low-carb studies don't offer any advantage over you know, low-fat, low-cal kinds of traditional dieting, and he's calling it science denial. He actually has 16 papers that show in randomized controlled trials, low-carb diets are better at reducing the cardiovascular risk and weight loss than the traditional, you know, low-fat, low-cal diets. Um, and he, in fact, he says, I'm not aware of a single study where the opposite was found, whereas, where the low-fat diet uh, was the way that they got to low calories and how it, yeah. a low-fat would ever outperform the low-carb. In other words, he's just never seen it. So he's like, this is 16 to 0, low-carb wins, look at the clinical trials. And he, now, yeah. he might have cherry-picked, but... I'm going to agree with him. I can't say I've seen a lot of trials that said, listen, a traditional low-fat, low-cal diet 
is the best way to go. I think we really missed the mark on that in the 80s and 90s. Everything was fat-free. You guys know, remember all that stuff. Yes. And you don't hear as much of that now, although there's a lot of dietitians who still won't let go of it. Here's some of the titles of these studies. A low-carbohydrate as compared to low-fat diet in severe obesity. That's the New England Journal of Medicine, 2003. Here's another comparison of energy-restricted, very low-carb diets versus low-fat diets on weight loss and body composition in overweight men and women. That's Nutrition Metabolism, 2004. Again, all these studies are showing that the low-carb approach is better for fat loss. uh, Efficacy and safety of high-protein, low-carb diets for weight loss in severely obese adolescents. Journal of Pediatrics, 2010. So, you know, I'm not sure what the reluctance, you know, in the healthcare profession uh, to embrace the low carb. I, I think most people would argue you might lose the fat, but it doesn't last. Um, but at least for most of our purposes in fitness or, or in bodybuilding, hell, we do target date diets anyway, you know. Um, well, I'd also say most of the people that. It doesn't last it's because they go off the diet. I agree. It's always blown <laughs> me away as a physiologist that people think they can stop a certain training or diet regime and keep all the old benefits. Yeah. Why would that be And that's true? where it's different. That's where it's different for you and me and Rob. You know, we're dieting for an event. Most, the 99% of the population needs to find something livable. Yeah. Absolutely. They need to find an eating plan they'll stick with for freaking ever, and they don't, they don't want to do that. So where I agree with this diet doctor guy is... There is a halfway mark, you know, like yeah. bodybuilders pulling 50 grams out of their diet every two weeks or something until they're, it's basically gone for the last month. I don't expect mm-hmm. people to do that and be able to be compliant, you know. Yeah. But I do yeah. think that carbohydrates are mostly the problem, to be honest. Yeah. We all we live in such a carb and sugar syrup rich environment. Every coffee you drink, every cereal you eat. I mean, there's high fructose corn syrup in my chicken. You guys have heard me bitch about yeah. that before. Are you kidding? Yeah. So yeah. we're in this hyperinsulinemic state, and it starts to reprogram our fat-building machinery. You literally have more fat-building genes like ACC, um, acetyl-CoA carboxylase, things that build fat in your body. You build fat-burning machinery when you're in a constant high-insulin state. And yeah. a, I, I, I keep running into, again, my colleagues, you know, in – Healthcare people like doctors, nurses, health educators, dietitians, and they just don't they don't want to stick with this low carb thing. But it's funny because in the fitness industry, pretty much everybody has stayed with an Atkins like approach um, because it, it does have radical, at least short term effects. Um, so anyway, yeah, I got to think that carbs are still an issue. Cutting out sh- sugary things and refined carbs has got to be a uh, at least up to a point with something you're livable with. Yeah, yeah. got to be a good step uh, instead of trying oh. to just cut, unless you're cutting really junk fat like the fast food grease you get, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's a far cry from olive oil and mixed nuts and, you know, even some oh, fat yeah. on your steak that you make at home. Mm-hmm. One more. Uh, I know we're almost out of time. Shopping decisions are a self-delusion, say scientists. This is from The Times. It's a British paper and also from University of Warwick. Um, I think this is kind of interesting. They're saying that essentially we're delusional when it comes to you know our diet habits and what we do in the grocery store. Says so psychologists say the urge to stock our kitchen cupboards with items that languish indefinitely is a result of what's called diversification bias. It's an unrealistic view that we hold of how varied our tastes are. So in other words, we don't really have varied tastes. We just like to believe we do. Um, 
Daniel Reed at the University of Warwick led a series of experiments. Uh, let's see, he talked about it on BBC Radio as well. People tend to choose more variety than they actually consume, said Professor of Behavioral Science. Uh, we believe that variety is a pretty good thing, but the reality is that when we are actually buying and consuming things, we tend to uh, like less variety than we think or imagine we do. He said, for example, uh, imagine your weekly trip to the supermarket. You know, you might get something like several different kinds of vegetables or cheeses. Um, and the ones that you like, like let's say you like the cheddar cheese, you eat all that up and you go back and next week you buy more. But why did you just buy the brie or the blue cheese or whatever, you know, that you tend not to eat? Uh, you bought it because somewhere in your mind you think – you think you have more variety than you really do, and then you eat up the you keep eating up the cheddar, and the other stuff just sits in the fridge until it gets moldy, and then you toss it in the bin. <laughs> you know, and I, I just yeah. think it's funny. It really emphasizes to me. Uh, and he said people do it with books. They do it with investments. You know, like for example, with books, if you like reading mysteries, you might go get that occasional highbrow literary novel just because you think it's good for you, or you know, you'll get to that, and you never do. You go buy another mystery book. But I think it's funny that we do that with food because I've heard before that people eat like. What is it, 15 different foods in rotation, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet we think we have all this variety. So I would suggest you do uh, – I, I saw a TED Talk this morning about 30 days of just doing something different, you know? Mm -hmm. Just do something radically different from your routine for 30 days. You'll be a better person for it. I would suggest well, let's use that rule with grocery shopping, but actually go eat it. You know, don't just buy well, it. We've talked about it before, I think. I'm pretty sure it was you to buy one new thing each week. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a big fan you know, of that. Try, try just one thing. <laughs> you know, instead of a lot of people go way out there and try to buy 17 new things, just go in the store with the goal of buying one different thing each week. It's, I like to do that with a – because there are so many different kinds of mixed frozen veg now. Frozen veg is yeah. good as fresh. And yeah. you, if you buy a one-pound bag or a two-pound bag, you can make it disappear. Boom, there's your dose. And you just yeah. improve the quality of your diet by the end of the week yeah. without question, especially if you have a problem yeah. with veg. But one of the neat things we did was uh, we signed up for, it's called Door-to-Door -door Organics. And so we get a box of fresh fruits and vegetables to our door once a week. And we have no clue what's coming until it shows up. That's all. So it's kind of neat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, what do we get? You know, it's always enough to eat. It's a good box of stuff, but it's different stuff every week. And it's like, hey, this is kind of neat. You right, know? Exactly. Fortress, so, uh, I know we're out of time. What's your What's your diet variety like? I bet all those years in bodybuilding and powerlifting, you probably eat the same, like, five foods in rotation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm just uh, stuck on the oatmeal, um, a lot of red meat, a lot of chicken, tons of eggs, milk, yeah. a lot of bananas, um, a lot of pasta, um, cans, maybe one like a can of tuna a day. Um, but, yeah, I just find a lot of pasta, really, and, and, and eggs are, and those types of things. So... We talk about variety for me. For for fortress variety is a uh, a limited word. <laughs> I think it's but, uh, it, it's true of a lot of strength athletes. When I do diet records and studies, you know, we got to keep track of their diets. They'll write. I'll write me a three day diet record, and they'll write one day, and they'll say that's all three. I eat that every day, and I believe yeah. them. If it was a different group, I'd be yeah. like, no, this isn't accurate. You're just being lazy. Yeah. No, that's really what they eat every yeah. day. One thing I would say is in the last several years, I've very, especially in the last few, I've really increased increased my uh, intake of vegetables. So, um, and I just eat them raw. Like you, you were yeah. saying, Lonnie, I just buy the big big bags of carrots, big bags of broccoli. 
Um, yeah. And I usually just put a just scoop a handful of both into a thing, and I just sit in front of the TV and just eat it. And you know, with all the years of training myself to eat so much food that I don't really enjoy, it's just another <laughs> thing. It's it, it, it's not that I don't enjoy it or I do enjoy it. It's just something that you know. It's just and I, it's amazing. I get through it. I munch through it. I don't like it. I don't dislike it. It's just something I do, and I feel better for doing it. Well, you yeah. should. I mean, most people do that with a bag of chips, mm-hmm. you know. So, so. anyway, right, so I would just suggest, yeah, everybody follow what Phil was mentioning about. If you want to do it realistically with one pound, you just got to make sure you, you actually eat it and don't do what, you know, this uh, Professor Daniel Reed said. And you buy it and then it just rots in your fridge. You know, you're buying it to make you feel good or because you think you're more varied. Actually consume it. Uh, <laughs> and then you'll be better off. You know, you break out of these habits. You know, because grocery store people help. They know, right? They put the foods that they want you to purchase at shoulder height, you know, uh, stuff down along the floor doesn't get bought as much. They know this. People are tracking you a hundred ways to Sunday online to see, to try to manipulate your buying habits. So I do mm-hmm. like what they're kind of pointing out here about shopping decisions might be self-delusion in that not only are we deluding ourselves, but we're really getting led around by the advertisers more than we think. We have, we might have less free choice than maybe we think. Anyway, I think that's that's all I've got. Okay. All right, guys. We'll uh, next week. Later. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single-digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I've done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet, 
or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.